Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Travis and Vic's Drunken Horror Adventures. Let's call it Travis and Blake's Drunken Horror Adventures right now because Blake's actually here. And, you know, we had to have Blake. The first time we ever had him on the show was uh, for the Wes Craven tribute. And here we are again with the Wes Craven movie. What's up, Blake? How are you folks doing tonight? Good to talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is one that I've been looking forward to since the inception of the show. You know what I mean? It, and the more I watch Scream, the more I just get sad about, you know, the passing of Wes Craven a few years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. Just, uh, I don't know, man. It, it just makes me think of what could have been about a lot of things. and Just, you know, it gets me to thinking about a lot of shit. But, you know, we're a couple weeks, you know, uh, after the Romero uh, tribute. So, I don't know. I, I guess I'm all in my feelings tonight. But uh, we're, we're going to be talking about a uh, a movie that is very important to horror. Like, uh I'll have some big things to say about it at the end of the show once we get through it all. But, uh, Blake, this movie came out December 20th, 1996. So, like, as it has been publicized, uh, they decided to go the route that was not a popular route at the time and release a horror movie um, around Christmas, which was not the thing to do back then. Very true. Very few horror films have ever come out around uh Christmas, I believe, you know, in all honesty, that uh, Weinstein Brothers and uh, Dimension Films really took a big chance on it, but it paid off for them in dividends. I think they knew they had something good, so they were willing to chance it. Yeah, yeah, they, and, and it's one of those things where it's like, um, they, and we'll get into it in the trivia later, but this movie was a long, hard road to get to, but Uh, This movie gets a 7.2 on IMDb. We'll get to whether we uh, agree with that or disagree later. Um, Pretty high for a slasher. I mean, if you look at most of the the slashers, uh, they're in the fives and sixes, um, with the exception of like Halloween or or the original Texas Chainsaw or Nightmare on Elm Street. But, um, you know, this is up there with those heavy hitters and and above a lot of them as well. So um, we're talking an ultra-popular movie, and, you know, it's, Shit, Blake, it's hard to believe it's been 21 years since this movie came out, or almost 21 years. That's crazy. I know. I don't even want to talk about it. It makes me feel ancient already. I mean, I'm sitting here tonight, or today, I watched some stuff with my kids, and yesterday, all real monsters, you know, and I was like, I told my oldest son, I was like, I was 10 years old when that came out, and I can't believe you're watching it here, you know, 20, you know, 22 years later, you're watching it. That's just (laughs) ridiculous. There, there are uh, some moments in the movie that that make you realize that it's an. Uh, I don't even, fuck! I can't believe 1996. I can even call an older movie, but uh, th- to make you feel that it was a different generation than it is now, which we'll get to for sure. Um, but first, let's throw out. Uh, it was directed by Wes Craven, as we talked about. Written by Kevin Williamson. Yep. And it's 
It stars Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and of course a few others too. But everybody thought that it was going to star Drew Barrymore, and she just uh, played a small part in it, but an important part. Let's not forget about that, which we'll get into in just here in a second. Budget of the movie was $14 million estimated, and its opening weekend, it brought in $6.3 million, but then it held steady the next week, and then it went up, which is crazy for, for a movie because, you know, once you have that first – like, okay, let's give you an example. Friday the 13th uh, remake. It had a huge opening weekend and then had a huge drop. That happens with almost every movie. Maybe not as huge of a drop as Friday the 13th did. But to to stay exactly the same and then go up, that never happens. That's true. It never happens, but it's a testament to the power that was behind that movie, the driving force that was behind it. And, I mean, like I said, I think they knew they had a – they had a big hit with it, you know, and that's why they're willing to chance it. And believe it or not, I think the reason it helped steady was because they released it, um, you know, December 20th. And then after Christmas, you know, people had been seeing the trailers. I remember seeing the trailers for it on television right about Christmas time. And I was like, man, after the holidays, and I've got some money, I'm going to go see that. And I think that was the mindset of a lot of people. And I think that's why it continued to go up. Yeah, and word of mouth was obviously big back then. You know what I mean? You didn't have the Internet buzz yet um, as much. It did play a big part in Scream 2, but we'll get to that next week uh, and Scream 3 next week. But, uh, hey, Vic's on the line. Vic, this movie gets a 7.2 on IMDb. What do you think of that? I think that's entirely too low. (laughs) Good man. Well, there's that. Like, as I said, as I said, this movie is up there with the heavy hitters of horror. I mean, especially slashers, but look at all these fucking sequels, they all get thumped. But, you know, the originals do pretty well. 7.2 is pretty high uh, compared to others, but mm, we'll get into my feelings on whether it's high or low after it's over. So let's jump into things right off the bat. All right, so this movie, it opens up. You've got uh, Casey Becker, who's played by Drew Barrymore. And by the way, for anybody who hasn't seen the movie, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast because we're going to spoil the shit out of it bit by bit by bit. So I'm sure you've seen it if you're listening to a podcast about Scream. But if you're trying to make up your mind whether to watch Scream or not based on our podcast, I'm thinking maybe you should watch it and then come back and listen to the podcast. But also, (laughs) who who the hell has not seen Scream at this point? Really, I mean, like I bet you more people have seen Scream in this generation than have seen Halloween. Well, to be fair, I didn't see Pulp Fiction until I was like 23. My wife has still never seen Pulp Fiction. To be fair, which is sad. No, I'm, no. What's wrong with you? What'd you say, Vic? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Not me. Not me. I've seen it. Lord. Not me. I've seen it. I love the movie. I saw it when I was younger. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh,. Speaking of, by the way, I, I saw Scream when it came out on VHS, right after it came out on VHS. Right I don't here. know that I saw it on VHS, though. I think I saw it on, like, Stars or something, whatever the hell they had back then. So, or, like, Encore. So, yeah, I, I'm yeah. almost positive I saw it on TV. Uh, and I was in Texas at the time. I lived in Texas for a year. So, I saw it when I was, like, 15. The movie came out when, it, when I was 14. That makes perfect sense. I rented so, it from Hollywood Video. If that tells you how old, that tells you how old I am. <laughs> See, like I said, when you really get into this movie, it really is like you start to really, like a lot of it looks fresh and new, but then there's parts of it you're like, God, now I feel like 
that's a totally different world. But we'll get there in just a second because it's not going to take us long to even see um, the differences. Like, all right, so like I said, the movie opens up with Casey Becker, Drew Barrymore, who originally was supposed to play Sydney. We'll get there too. Um, and she's getting phone calls from somebody. And, you know, the first thing they're like, uh, you know, they're, they're talking to her and they call back. It's the wrong number. They call back. And uh, she's just kind of getting annoyed with the whole thing. Um, it, it It's pretty obvious, though, that he's fucking with her, you know. And uh, he has an awesome voice, by the way. Right off the bat, Roger Jackson, he stands out in this movie. The guy who plays the ghost face voice. Yes, absolutely. He... He, he had a big career, still does, you know, ADR work and things. But uh, I don't know if you've got young kids, they've probably listened to him because he was the voice of Mojo Jojo in the Powerpuff Girls animated series. I've never even seen that. Yeah, I'm, I'm old, show my age. I, had a, I have a younger sister, and she loved the Powerpuff Girls. And Mojo Jojo was this little animated pissed-off monkey with, like, his brain exposed in, like, a glass helmet. And it was oh, okay, I know what that okay. is. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I just didn't realize okay well one of the things that actually tells us the age of this movie right off the bat while she's talking to him she walks over to the tv one for one it's not a flat screen tv it's a you know a tube tv from our childhood you know and uh she's got uh videotapes on top of it vhs tapes you ain't gonna see too many vhs tapes anymore except in flea markets right and her phone, the phone she answers, my God. Yes. Yes, this is not a cell phone. This is not an iPhone. This is a big-ass cordless phone that, you know, we were used to back then. And at the time, a big cordless phone was relatively, I wouldn't say new, but it was starting to become the thing that everybody had, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, look at look at the, you know, which we'll get there. Look at the house she lives in. Look at everything else. I mean, she was... She's pretty affluent, and I think, you know, VHS players, when they first came out, they were three or $400. I mean, they rival the price of a new PlayStation system, you know, back in their heyday. So, I mean, there's commentary on status symbols here, social status and class standing, for sure. Yeah, and it's really fucked up why she's talking to this guy, you know, who's basically asking her about herself and saying that he called the wrong number. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, what are you doing? It sounds like you're making popcorn. And she's like, yeah, Jiffy Pop. And uh, and he's like, I only make popcorn at the movies. And she says, uh, oh, I'm about to watch a movie. He's like, oh, and she's like, yeah, scary movie. And he's like, well, what's your favorite scary movie? Which is the line that obviously this movie is going to be associated with forever, you know, uh, for good reason. And, you know, he throws that out. And they're kind of going back and forth. And he's like... um, He's like, what's the one with the uh, the guy with the knives for fingers? And she's like, Freddy. Or, or she's like, Nightmare on Elm Street. He's like, yeah, I like that one. It was scary. And then, Blake, the part of the movie where you uh, got upset, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I wasn't upset. I was actually kind of just, I was kind of like, you know, sort of, I was, first I was shocked, and the second, the second thing I did was I laughed because, uh, she says, yeah, the first one was, but the rest sucked. And, uh, yeah, the first one was scary, the rest sucked. Yeah, which, which kind of way you know what, though, line, you know, so. Even if you like the sequels, what she said is kind of true, though. Well, maybe not the part that they sucked, because there's a couple of good ones in there to me. But yeah. what, what she said, the first one was scary, but the rest, most of the others weren't scary. You know, part two and three kind of new nightmare, but, like, other than that, you know, 
we always talked about this. Freddie became a comedian, and it became like a horror comedy. So, but this was not a Wes Craven knock. This was, came from Kevin Williamson. I listened to the commentary earlier today, and I had always heard that it was from Williamson. And Craven originally didn't want to have it in there. But right. Williamson convinced them to keep it in there because Craven actually directed uh, New Nightmare, and so basically he's saying that his movie sucked too. Well, true, and I mean, New Nightmare was the precursor to the format, which became more popularized screen, the postmodern deconstructed horror film with a satirical poke in society. That was sort of what New Nightmare was sort of like the precursor to that. So by doing that, I think Wes felt like that that might have been sort of like a disrespectful nod towards him, but in the end, really, it, he kept it, and I think it was fine, because there's a few other there's a few other jokes, like, you, you know, insider jokes when you watch the movie that you have to you have to be a fan of horror and of these films in general to get that. Otherwise, you're just like, what the hell, you know? Yeah. And while she's talking to the guy, you know, and everything's casual, she's like, uh, oh, he, he says, um, what's your name? She's like, why do you want to know my name? And he, he says, because I want to know who I'm looking at. And it's like, oh, fuck. And not only do you hear him say, I want to know who I'm looking at, you start to hear dogs bark. And that's when you know, oh, shit, this guy is nearby. I mean, you would assume it, but the fact that you hear these dogs bark, I mean, it just confirms the fact. So imagine being her, home alone. You know, she's apparently out in the middle of nowhere because he even says the cops won't get here in time if you call the police, you know. And uh, basically, she's all by herself here, and you realize that he's around. Uh, this isn't yeah. a situation like, it's not like she's sitting there with a gun or something. This is probably California, so this movie's not going to end within the first five minutes of somebody getting shot. You know what I'm saying? Most people aren't owning guns in California unless they're uh, in the ghetto, right, Vic? Yes, sir. But, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of interesting how it all escalates. Like, it seems like everything's cool. But, I mean, it goes quickly to this guy's scariest shit. So um, she's like, well, I'm going to call my boyfriend, and he's going to come over, and he's going to be here in any second, and he's big, and he plays football, and he'll kick the shit out of you. And he's like, I'm getting scared. And he's just fucking with her. And the way he's doing this, like I said, it all goes back to Roger Jackson's voice and the script. Um, but... uh you know, he says, look outside, and she's like, what the fuck? So she looks out her back patio, and her boyfriend's all beat up and tied up back there. And this is where it begins, uh, Blake. This is where it all starts, because to me, there's so many that um, took after this later on, this whole, I want to play a game. You know, and that's what he tells her, and then I think of Saul now when I watch this, you know, because Jigsaw wants to play a game. He stole it from Ghostface. Right, right. I mean, and like you said, it goes back to Roger L. Jackson and like uh, just the simple lines that were so effective. She's when she says, "My boyfriend plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you," and then, uh, then you know, he says uh, his name wouldn't happen to be Steve, would it? And the way he says yep. it, just like, "Oh shit!" Well, this is about to get. This is started out started out bad, and it's about to get infinitely fucking worse now for her. You know. It's perfect. Yeah, and, set up, you know. and this is all this is all fucking um uh atmosphere and 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 you know, um it, it's just tense as hell. So anyway, he tells her he wants to play a game and he asks her, you know, he's gonna give her a uh, a warm up question. Who's the killer? 
and Halloween. And she's, you know, so she's all upset and distraught. And she's like, Michael, Michael Myers. He's like, yes. <laughs> he was fucking excited, wasn't he? Yeah, he was getting off on it, I think. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So then he, he says, okay, next question. And she's like, uh, she's like no, oh. you know, she's freaking out, obviously. <laughs> but, of course, I mean, he's like, what? You're doing so well. And so he asked her, who is the killer in Friday the 13th? And, of course, everybody, except for horror fans, are sitting there thinking, it's Jason. And so does she. So what does she say? It's Jason. It's Jason. He's like, sorry, that's the wrong answer. And just the way he says it, it's so fucking Yeah, and she's like, no, it's not. I've seen that movie 20 goddamn times. (laughs) And you should know in the original movie, the original Friday the 13th, Mrs. Voorhees was the killer. Jason didn't come around until the sequel, which is kind of true. He wasn't the original, but he wasn't the killer. Right, I'm no. afraid that was a wrong answer. <laughs> and old Billy, or old Steve, it's the end of the line. So Ow. Steve, Steve gets fucking disemboweled, and it's it was apparently beautiful. more disgusting in the original um, cut of it. They had to cut a couple of frames because his guts originally like fall out onto the ground. They goes back to the MPAA. The MPAA always had it out for Mr. Craven, always trying to tag his shit with X ratings so that it would never come out. And he and a little bit, just in general. Bit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. That shit all started with Friday the Thirteenth, the first Friday the Thirteenth, um, because they let so much get by that, like they just like. Then they just started going after Slasher. After I don't know. What about Last House on the Left? That was about eight years before Friday, and they tagged his shit. Yeah, because that didn't get a wide release like Friday the Thirteenth, you know, or did it? It got it. It was in a few. It was in a few, you know, hundred theaters, I think, and a bunch of people walked out on it and said it was trash. You know, so whatever. I mean, you probably at the time, though, not considered a big wide release. Now, if something goes to two hundred theaters, you're like big fucking what, whatever. But, you know, yeah. back then, 200 theaters for a, a movie like that was kind of... And granted, there were art house cinemas. Usually art house, that's where we would have been, you and Vic and I, if we would have been around back in the 70s and 80s. We would have went to art house cinema because art house cinema played stuff like that and, and uh, you know, the David Lynch movie, Eraserhead, and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. So you would have seen a bunch of uncensored shit back in the day. Hell yeah. I wish we had that now. Yeah. <laughs> Had all the movies get raped, like Friday the 13th Part 7. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, so this movie, like I said, it got fucking chopped up. But not too bad it, to the point where it's not enjoyable. So anyway, this uh, this serial, uh, Steve gets himself murdered. And now uh, Ghostface, who we'll see shortly, uh, tells her that, you know, uh, that she has another chance now. There's a bonus round. And uh, he's like, which door am I at? There's, what does he say? There's three main doors to your house? Three main doors. There's a front Two. door and the patio doors. Yeah. yeah. Which one am I at? And, uh, you know, she didn't know the fucking answer. She won't answer him. So finally he gets fucking pissed and throws a chair through the window or through the back door or through the patio. Or through the back yeah. patio doors, yeah. And then she fucking loses her shit. And the whole time... The kitchen is a blaze. The fucking thing's on fire because the popcorn is sat in there and it's fucking catching everything on fire. <laughs> yeah, and I think that adds to the atmosphere of this whole thing, that popcorn going, because it just adds to the chaos. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You've got smoke. Everything's just going crazy. He's chasing after. We, we get a shot of this ghost face. We, guys, let's ask right off the bat. Vic, what do you think of the mask in this movie and the whole the whole costume? 
Um, I love it. I wasn't uh, at first. I wasn't like huge on it, but uh, yeah, I I love it. What about you, Blake? I, see, I don't even remember what my initial reaction was. It's this is like seeing like I couldn't tell you what I thought of the Michael Myers mask the first time I saw it. It's the like first time ingrained I saw in the, me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first thing I saw, the first camera angle they showed her looking down the hall and him running past with all that, just the little thing on the back of the mask flapping in the breeze where he's running down the hall. I was like, that's like a fucking race or something. And then later, a little bit later, a couple of frames later, when she's outside and. She looks up from hiding by under the window and looks up. You see that mask. The first thing I thought of was uh, that painting, The Scream by Edvard Munch. You know, it's like it's like a really distorted, fucked up kind of bizarro version of that scream mask, of that scream face that you know is in the painting. It's creepy. Yeah. There's no eyes. It's very disconcerting. It's the second time we've had a white mask with with expressionless eyes that wreaked havoc on us, you know, in the movies. The first one was obviously Michael Myers, you know, William Shatner mask, you know, and then we've got this one where it's another white mask, you know. Those white masks obviously work well for these killers, man. And let's not let's not forget the hockey mask. Well, it didn't have the emotionless eyes. You do have the white face still there. And, you know, it makes sense, though, that, that uh, Kevin Williamson would go back to uh, a Halloween trope or a Halloween, you know, I'd, uh, concept here with the white, you know, emotionless face and the eyes and everything because Halloween was Kevin Williamson's favorite horror movie. So it makes sense. He writes the movie. He loved Halloween. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of references such oh, as. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we get a lot. Um, so, you know, Ghostface chases Casey across the lawn and, uh, you know, just as her parents are pulling up to the driveway, he fucking catches up with her and stabs her in the heart with this this hunting knife. And, it, you know, it's one of those things where, like, if, you know, you're seeing the movie for the first time, you see Drew Barrymore, and to see her, like, get stabbed, you're thinking, okay, maybe it was in the shoulder, she's going to be okay. And then, like, you realize he stabbed her in the fucking heart. You know what I mean? She's done. She ain't coming back from this. And it continues on because he starts choking the shit out of her. And I guess when he's choking the shit out of her, he, like, um, crushes her windpipe because when she tries to yell at her uh, parents, uh, nothing comes out. It was very hoarse, almost a whisper. And remember when he's dragging her along the ground, she's still got the phone on, and the mom and dad have called the phone, and she's like, oh, my God, I can hear her. I can still hear her. Yeah, know? exactly. Like, awesome. they're going to they're gonna call the cops because the house is on basically on fire at this point from the, the popcorn. You know, Casey's nowhere to be found. Um, and then when they pick up the phone, you can hear her, you know, you know, just breathing and, and just like she's fucking, she's all cut up. He has uh, stabbed her a couple times, and while this is going on, like she pulls his mask off, and you don't get to see who it is, but she kind of gives a look like she knows who it is. And then uh, we cut to um, the dad and mom, and you know, the dad. This is where we get our Halloween scene. He says, "Drive down to the McKenzie's. I want you to call the police." which is straight up from Halloween. Absolutely. Where, that word for word. Yep. Yep. Lori, go down to the McKenzie's. Once you call the police. Yeah, that whole thing. So, uh, you know, the mom runs outside, and what do we see? We see fucking Casey hanging from a tree, disemboweled. And, you know, I was always thinking that was fucked up, but as a parent, it's even more fucked up now to watch it, just to think 
that, you know, you walk outside and your fucking kid's hanging from a yeah, tree. Yeah, and if you Good look is. at it, what, what adds insult to injury is this is fresh because entrails are still steaming on the ground. Yes. And you're like, yes. oh, this is, I've got kids, I don't like it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's the cut from the whole intro. I mean, that was the whole intro. We cut, and then we go to Sydney Prescott, which we're going to take a break for a second and kind of talk about that intro. In terms of horror movies, and there are some good ones out there, this has to be top five intros of a horror movie all time, period. Like, it's that intense. It's that fucking crazy. You get tons of gore. I mean, can you guys think of any others that are right up there with it? I mean, this one is right there for one of the top intros to a movie, especially a slasher of all time. Oh, yeah, man. This and Halloween, the first opening to Friday the mm-hmm. 13th, and then the opening scene of Freddy building the glove in Nightmare on Elm Street, and then this scene from Scream. That's, that's, my, that's my pantheon right there, man, those ones I mentioned. There's just nothing like them. And they've been done to death. People have tried to, to do them, and they just mm-hmm. can't do it, can't capture that magic. They just can't do it. No, it's really, it's really, like Vic, even Chainsaw didn't have this kind of an opening. I mean, Chainsaw was a slow burn, and then it went fucking ape shit. but you know what I mean? Vic said, fuck you, you didn't, you didn't talk good enough about Chainsaw. Anyway, so, but yeah, this opening was just crazy, and not only is it crazy, you get the, the I mean, Drew Barrymore was almost on every single poster. People thought she was going to be a major part of this movie, which she originally was going to be. And then she's the second person killed. So in case anybody ever tries to throw out Scream trivia to you, remember, in the movie, she's the second person killed, although technically the third by Ghostface, right? Well, well, are we counting? Are we counting Maureen? Since she's yeah, that's what I'm team. saying. Technically the well, third, right? Te- technically the third, but I, but man, I think it's interesting to note. This is just like with Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, we've got a blonde, pretty. Young, new by yeah. teenage girl that has gotten fucked up by the killer, you know? Yeah, and, you know, it's weird, too, because it feels like a tale of two different movies. Like, Nightmare on Elm Street felt like two different, you know, movies, and this one kind of does, too. This goes from the uh, focus on one blonde girl to a dark-haired girl here, you know, the innocent dark-haired girl. So, uh, it's interesting, but, like I said, we go to uh, Sydney Prescott who's played by Nev Campbell, uh, a party of five at the time. That's what she was known for at the time. Me, I never watched Party of Five. Vic, did you ever watch Party of Five, or are you even still here? Um, I watched Party of Five a little bit because they had a bunch of hot bribes on it, and I used to jack off to them. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> lovely, <laughs> lovely. Thanks for the details, I mean, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like what was on it, right? Hey, man, you know, your right and left won't ever cheat on you. I get it. I understand, man. It's okay. Exactly. That's right. They do it right every time. So, I know. Exactly. But, no, uh, I love Nev Campbell. I mean, we did that, you know, top horror scream queens or whatever, and she's my number one. So that tells you something. But, you know, originally, like I said earlier, Casey Becker, old Drew Barrymore, was actually supposed to play their old Sydney. And I think it's good that they actually, you know, everything changed up because it may have been a movie that was, I don't know, focused on Drew Barrymore instead of the actual quality of it. I don't know how to describe that, but sometimes well, it's better. Well, think about it from a social standpoint, though. I mean, look at the poster. Okay, three-quarters of the people on the poster were in big-time things at the time the movie was out. Courtney Cox was in Friends. 
and then you had mm-hmm. Dev Campbell in Party Five, and then you had Drew Barrymore, who you know we're talking Batman Forever. She was uh, Sugar, and then before that, you know, we had her in Cat's Eye, we had her Firestarter, we had her in E.T. So she already kind of made a name. The Barrymore name was already huge, and then Arquette, you know, his sister was real huge at the time. You know, because yeah. she had done True to Moments and all that other stuff. And Skeet Ulrich, you know, you kind of really didn't – he hadn't done too much, you know, up to that point. But he is the nephew, I think, of Ricky Rudd, the NASCAR driver. So that was like a big claim to fame was that uh, he had done that. And then he did The Craft. But I think The Craft actually came out after Scream. Same – or before Scream, I think. It was same year. Idiot. Yeah, but before. So he had done he had done The Craft. But, yeah, they put all these people – that had big-time things going on on the poster. I think it's one of the first times I'd ever seen a horror film with basically uh all-star cast like that. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, think about it. You know, everybody on the poster has either come from a really famous acting family or was currently in something that was like pop culture phenomenon. And this is actually where this whole thing starts. Uh, this is one of the trends that I hate that Scream started, and that was having all these actors on the cover, this stylish cover, whereas back in the day we had these cool art, you know, uh, art designs on the, the boxes and stuff. It, it changed over to this, these profiles of all these actors, which I still despise to this day. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I know the chicks are naked, I have no point. Of it, you know, they did their poster the same way. The, for, I know it did last summer, the very first one. Had the people Halloween H two O, yeah, and Halloween H two O, and it just Urban Legend, it, yeah. I mean, it started a trend, and it was cool for it. But everything after, it's like, uh, you know, horror people. I'm sorry, we're like musicians. We're all fickle. Like when we get exposed to something, uh, and and it's not new to us anymore, we're the first to comment on it. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just. It is what it is. For better or for worse, we are the way we are. But, you know, that's going to kind of run into my my uh, opinion on Scream later on. Yeah. So now we'll switch over now to uh, the focus of the movie now being on Sydney Prescott, like I said, Nev Campbell. So she's sitting there at her computer typing away, and she hears something in the bushes outside the window, and her boyfriend, Billy Loomis, nice little nod to Sam Loomis from uh, Halloween. And then if you really want to throw it back from Loomis, you know, Sam uh, – Psycho. Loomis from Psycho, yeah. So we get the uh, homage there. And, of course, like you said, that's played by Skeet Ulrich. And as I recall, maybe people didn't know him at the time, but he became kind of a teen idol there for a little while, didn't he? Yeah, and then he had a really hit show. He had a really big hit show after that called Jericho that was big time on, like, CBS. So, yeah, he he became kind of a... Yeah, like a household name. Good looking, you know, uh, dark haired, you know, slim guy with a good athletic build on him. And he just, he sort of was what embodied 1990s teen heartthrob. Like the 80s teen heartthrobs were different than the 90s. The 80s, you had people like Corey Feldman and Corey Haim and, you know, some of those others. Uh, Jennifer, what's her name? The one that married, I can't remember. Jennifer Gray. You know, we had all these. A certain look, and in the nineties it was the same. But you said it. We'll get into that later on how much, how much nineties is actually in this movie. You know. Yeah. So we've already got a couple of nineties things. We've got the tube TV. We've got the cord- the cordless telephone, um, and we've got those videotapes. And you know, which you probably rented. 
and her boyfriend's coming over. You know, I think that's it so far. But you know, when you see Sydney Prescott typing on the computer, you can you can tell it's old as shit. You know, it's definitely not one of these computers now. So anyway, like I said, Luke, Billy Loomis uh, pops up through the window, and you know, he kind of sneaks in there, and basically he tries to fuck her, <laughs> and she's like, "Nope, I ain't having none of that shit right now." And you kind of get a weird vibe about her, and during this whole scene, like you're getting. Um, some like he said that he was watching Exorcist and that they cut out all the good parts on TV and it's kind of like their relationship and during this whole scene like uh, they're playing um, Don't Fear the Reaper but it's slowed down it's kind of a cool version of it another Halloween reference there yeah very true I mean and then it's man it just it's uh, it's taking place at you know it's at night you know, which is another big thing for a lot of the flashers. They usually start in the in the evening, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. And it just, yeah, it's so many tropes were already, like, addressed, and we're not even 10 minutes and, you know, 10 or 15 minutes into the movie yet, you know. Yeah, we've even got a virgin. We've got all that stuff, so it's it's setting up, as, you know, that she's going to be the survivor girl as long as she doesn't have sex, right? Well, and we got into the '90s band. Did you did you look at the po- at the Creed poster on the wall? I mean, even yeah. you know, and pop culture, just like and the Indigo Girls, and you know, some of the other stuff, and the soundtrack. I'm not even gonna. We'll get into that later because I kind of have a connection because of being a musician. The soundtrack. This movie is got fucking 1996 written all over it. I mean, you could definitely. I, I listened see it. to the soundtrack the other day, as a matter of fact, and it was uh, still pretty awesome. It's very so anyway, awesome. Yeah. Her, her dad, uh, Neil Prescott, tries to you know come into the room, and like she's got this weird door system where like one door blocks the other door. Anyway, he tries to get in there, and he's telling her, you know, I'm going out of town. Billy hides during this. You know that he's going out of town. There's money and all that good shit for you. You know to buy food or whatever you need. I'll be back. I'll be at the airport, Hilton. Anyway, so what we find out is that uh, Sydney's mom, Maureen, like you said earlier, was actually killed one year before, almost a year to the date. And Sydney and her father are kind of all alone now. And what we also find out is that Sydney's testimony identified Cotton Weary, played by Leif Schreiber, as the killer, although Cotton swears he's innocent, which that's something that it's briefly touched on this movie. It's not heavily pushed to us. We don't see much of Cotton in this movie. You're going to get more of him in the next movie. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so basically we got a little backstory unfolding here. And then, uh, you know, the next day at, she gets there, you know, Sydney gets there to school and it is fucking... Vic, have you ever seen a scene like this? I mean, you had people who, like, I, I know you knew they got in trouble at school, things happened. Have you ever seen anything like this, this with the media and, you know, the cop coverage like this? Vic, God damn it. All right. What about you, Blake? Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember it was a couple of years after this, but the Columbine thing had press yeah. coverage like that. Yep. Actually, no, it, it wasn't. It, no, you're right. It was after this. There was another incident that happened in Santa Rosa that we'll get into later that yeah. was right before this, and it fucked up their filming for it. But uh, anyway, so the next day, Sydney School, like I said, it, it's a buzz. Everybody's fucking finding out about this murder, and uh, because Casey and Steve actually went to school there, and uh, you know, like I said, they're the ones that are killed at the start. So Sydney, you know, uh, 
you, you get a lot of character development during all this, like where um, you find you, you find out about Tatum, who's Rose McGowan, who looked pretty fucking good in this movie. Uh, you got Billy, like I said, and then you got Randy, Jamie Kennedy, uh, who's the one that's obsessed with horror movies. And then you got Stu, Matthew Lillard. So these people are all friends, and they're kind of hanging out at the fountain talking about what happens. And uh, you find out that, like, Stu used to date Casey Becker, and he's dating Tatum now. And they're just kind of rapping about the whole thing. I don't know how to explain any other way. You know, they're they're talking about, um, you know, who could have done it. Like, Stu is like, it had to have been a man to do it because they're completely disemboweled, gutted. And, you know, you can tell Sydney's getting uncomfortable as hell about it, right? Yeah. And, and she just weirded it out. Yeah, she's yeah, weirded out. Yeah, because of the she's thing with her mom. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's just, and, and my favorite part was uh, when Randy does that thing, he's like, he's aping, he's aping and mocking uh, Stu because he says it takes a man to do something like that. And he's like, because it takes a man to do something like that. And that, you know, he's fucking yeah. aping him, aping him and, like, getting, you know, pissing him off. And, oh, it not, was great. And not to skip this over, like, when Sydney first gets to school, you know, she says that Casey, or she's talking to Tatum, and Tatum says that Casey and Steve were killed. And and Sydney's like, Casey used to sit, or Casey sits next to me in, in whatever class, and she's like, English Not class. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, like that. He's like, um, you know, uh, fucking Randy says to to Stu, he's like, did you put her liver in the mailbox? <laughs> Because I heard they found her liver in her in the mailbox next to her pancreas and her spleen. <laughs> and then the best part to me is where Stu says, liver alone, get it? Liver. I don't know why oh, that makes me laugh every yeah, time. And, yeah, and what makes me laugh is not even, I mean, that makes me laugh a lot, but but uh, Billy's response being the brooding 1990s teenager, he's like, when she says, uh, Sydney says, how do you gut someone? And then Stu goes to explain it, and then Billy's, like, trying to dismiss it. He's like, it's called tact, you fucker had. You know, that's, yep. like, definitely a 1990s uh, slang, you know, term. Fucker had was definitely 1990s. Uh, yeah, and one of the things that I think that we find out here is how good the fucking cast is and how well-suited to their roles are which I don't talk too much about acting in these movies, but they all play their role perfect, and they're fucking perfect for their role. But anyway, so Sydney's going to go home that night and wait for Tatum to pick her up because uh, she don't want to be alone. So Tatum's she's either going to stay with Tatum for the weekend or Tatum's going to stay with her. And, you know, the phone rings, and, of course, she hears the same voice that Casey heard earlier. And we're kind of hoping that it's not that same person. Um, but it was, obviously. And uh, at first she thinks it's Randy joking around because Randy loves horror movies. And he's like, are you alone in the house? And she's like, Randy, that's uh, you know, that's that's way too easy. And he's like, maybe that's because I'm not Randy. And that's when shit gets serious, right? Yeah, doesn't uh, doesn't Tatum call first though when they talk about she's gonna stop my right. video store? Yeah. yeah, she's like she's like they pick up all the right moves. If you pause it just right, you can see his penis. I'm like Jesus <laughs> Christ, you whores, or at least Tatum's a whore. Anyway, so uh, so uh, let's see. The, the, you know they're on the phone and uh, this dude, it like like just like with Casey, it kind of starts out where it's not so threatening, and then he's like, if you hang up now, you're going to die like your mother. You want to die, Sydney? 
your mother sure didn't. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this scary motherfucker. Ghostface ain't fucking around. He is an asshole. So, um, by the way, you know the interesting thing? When she got home from, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know if it was the bus or what, whenever she she first got home, she checked her mailbox, which made me laugh because it's like she was looking for a liver. You know what I'm saying? The first thing she does is check her mailbox after that whole comment. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she's looking for a liver or a spleen or a pancreas. Anyway, uh, I guess they have to live her alone. But so. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, she's like, she's like fucking with the killer now. She's like, I, you know, she she had been fucking with the killer, like basically not sure if he was really there, but now he's saying that he can see her. And uh, she's getting pissed off now. And then finally this fucker breaks out of her closet and comes chasing after her. And this is where we find, like, we kind of noticed this in, when he was after Casey. And in this next scene, like, where he's after Sydney, we thought, noticed that, that Ghostface is kind of a bumbling goof, isn't he? Like, he fucking runs into walls and shit. I guess it's that costume. I don't know. But he is fucking not agile at all. Well, yeah, the costume has those little tail those little tail things on the end of it that that uh, are real low to the ground. So, yeah, I think he was yeah. tripping over, over that stuff. It's kind of funny to watch him miss so many times and, like, run into walls and shit because that's not what we're used to from killers. I mean, think about it. We we had Freddy, who was uh, a killer in, in the nightmares. And, I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted. You had Michael and Jason, who were the most of the time the slow walkers, and then you had, like, Chucky, which was a fucking doll. So leading up to all of this, we didn't have this type of killer yet, really, um, where he's like, I mean, it's a person in a costume who's just, I, I don't know, struggling like anybody else would. So uh, anyway, uh, she she locks herself in a room, calls 911 uh, from her phone or from her computer because the phone's dead, and uh, then Billy pops up through the window, and it's like, hmm, what the fuck's he doing there again? And, you know, they kind of hug, and then Billy drops his cell phone, and she realizes, oh, shit, he was the one calling me, or at least that's what she thinks at this point. You know, and uh, she runs downstairs out of the house, and it's pretty awesome when she opens the door. The ghost face mask is, like, right in her face, and she screams, and Dewey screams because he's holding it at the door. He's like, I found this. (laughs) That was fucking awesome. Yeah, so they, we, they were, yeah, he he was great, and you know Dewey was very he was kind of like a bumbling goof too, which we'll get into later. But I think that speaks to red herrings and who who ends up really being the killer, which we'll get into that. But you know, yeah, he was originally um, interviewed or or auditioning for the Billy Loomis part, but he decided he liked this part, and it worked out pretty damn well, I have to say. So oh, yeah. Billy gets yeah. arrested. And, you know, Sydney's taken to the police station along with him. And, you know, he's being questioned. And uh, this part's kind of fucked up, all right? Because, like, okay, first of all, it makes me laugh because the sheriff's like, um, what, were you, what were you doing at uh, Sydney's house? And he's like, oh, I felt like going for a drive. He's like, and last night? He's like, he's like, look, and his dad is sitting next to him. He's like, you went out last night? He's like, look, I just wanted to get some air. I wanted to see my girlfriend. And he's like, happened to go by Casey, uh, you know, Casey Becker's house? Yep, sure did. Can you imagine? He's like, yep, sure did. <laughs> you got me. 
But the sheriff questioning him makes me laugh because the next part he says, let me ask you a question, son. What are you doing with a cellular phone <laughs> or cellular telephone? And it's like, can you imagine that now? This is another part where it shows you, you know, this is 1996, not now. He's asking about a cellular telephone. Everybody has cell phones now. 1996, they were more known as car phones, weren't they? Well, there were car phones were a little bit of a separate thing, but the same kind of technology. He had actually one that I had, one of those old Nokia bricks. Those things could uh-huh. survive being thrown in the toilet. You drop an iPhone or an Android, you're fucked. Yeah, ridiculous. Let me ask you a question, son. What are you doing with a cellular telephone? That's <laughs> fucking great. So anyway, they're they're gonna hold him until they get the phone records back to find out if it really was Billy calling. So at the police station, you got Sydney who meets, you know, with Dewey, who is David Arquette again. Uh that's Tatum's older brother, and he's the town's deputy, who's just a goof. And then outside of station, you've got uh, Gail Weathers, who's Courtney Cox, uh, kind of playing outside her nice girl role from uh, Friends. And, you know, she had written this expose about the murder of Sydney's mom, and she, she like, sneaks around back where they're trying to get Sydney out of the police station and over to Tatum's house for the night. And, um, you know, this is where where she kind of gets into an argument with Sydney because she's just trying to get, like, um, an exclusive interview with her after, you know, she was almost killed and um, you know, she tells her that Cotton Weir was wrongfully convicted, and, and basically Sydney hates Gail because Gail basically called her mom a whore in the uh, in the book, and, and the Cotton Weary, you know, he had sex with her, but he didn't uh, he didn't kill her or rape her, and um, yeah. So you know, she thinks the the murders are connected, and this is when Sid fucking punches her. And uh, she's like, I send you a copy. Boom, bitch went down. This is when they go over to Tatum's house. And Tatum, she's looking kind of good here, sitting there with her bunny and her pigtails. Rose McGowan. Yeah, always her hard nipples. Have you noticed throughout the whole movie, her nipples are hard? Not as hard as the last scene, that's for damn sure. Mm. Or her last scene. I mean, you could have cut glass with those things later on. But, I mean, dude, she's like, she was pretty hot back in the day. I don't know what the fuck she did to her lips. Jesus Christ. She can't even talk now. You know what I'm saying? Like, she put so much collagen in her lips that she can't talk. It's fucking nasty. Anyway. So, <laughs> it's true, man. Like, if you see her in interviews now, she is disgusting. I don't know what she did. I mean, too much plastic surgery. But anyway, so, um, she, she, you know, they're sitting there and kind of laying there uh, talking and uh, Tatum's asking, Sid, you know, do you really think Billy did it? And she's like, he was there, Tatum. So, I mean, it, it looks like Billy's the killer until there's a phone call. And it's from the killer who tells her, looks like you got the wrong guy, Sidney, again. You know, poor Billy boyfriend. Of course, Sidney's freaking out because, you know, the killer's supposed to be in jail, but he's not. Um, so it's not her boyfriend. She basically fingered the wrong guy again. Um, so... Like I said, uh, they, they, uh, the dude says, you're going to find out who I am, uh, I promise, and hangs up. But one of the funniest parts is when Dewey comes into the room and he picks up the phone and he's like, hello? <laughs> I don't know what that fuck's so funny well, about Well, again, that, that place, I'm sorry, and this is going to jump ahead a little, but to me, there are several instances in the movie like that where they're deliberately 
diverting attention and trying to make you think about who the killer is because by that point, there's been a couple of instances with his character already where he seems like he's suspect. Yeah, that, that's the thing, that Wes Craven was creating a lot of red herrings in this movie intentionally. They can't find Sidney's dad at this point. They've tried to find him at the airport he said he was at, not there, or the hotel. He's not there. They've tried to, um, I mean, Dewey, like I said, he is not in the room when they get the call, and they make sure that he's not in the room until after the phone is hung up. So there's lots of things that are, like, pointing to different people, and it's giving red herrings left and right. But obviously the main red herring right now is the dad. He disappeared. You know, the mom was murdered. Who killed the mom if not cotton weary so there's a lot going on right now and so the next day at school you know they've let billy out of jail which it's funny to me (laughs) sid goes to school the next day this is a fucking thing that is true in nightmare on elm street too what is up with these chicks in these fucking west craven movies well okay it's not just west craven but it was true in nightmare on elm street the first one and this and the nightmare on elm street sequels all these chicks want to go to fucking school the next day freddy versus jason that's another one what is up with them? To be around people that are the same age group, to be around their peers, to feel like they're not alone and isolated. I get it. You Nobody know. wants to go to school. Come on now. Man, you Ow. know, the day after my granddad passed away, when I was like 9 mm-hmm. or 10, that's immediately where I wanted to go was because I had two best friends there, and all I did was like just I broke down in front of them and just cried my eyes out, man. It was It was traumatic, and it wasn't anything like murder like any of this kind of stuff but it just i don't know that i guess it just speaks to the innocence and like the the warmth and humanity that you know craven is trying to elicit from these kids because he wants you to feel for these kids not even sympathy maybe just empathy maybe be empathetic with them you know yeah and, and, just, and you do get more character development here, too, from all the different characters. Because, like I said, Tatum and, and Stu are kind of there with them. And, you know, yeah. Sydney's like, hey, if you, you talk to Billy, and Stu's like, after you label him the Candyman, he's heartbroken. So we get a nice Candyman reference there. There's a lot of horror movie references in this movie. Somebody's probably put together a list, and one of you guys can probably find that. But I guarantee there's a shit ton. I put um, together a list years ago. The first is Wes Carpenter. Yes. I mean, come on. Like that's, a West Carpenter film. that's a portmanteau of, you know, Wes Craven and John Carpenter, who, again, Halloween. Uh, and it goes back to Kevin Williamson's love of uh, the Halloween series, you know, because it's referenced in several other scenes in this movie, you know. Yep. The Town the Dreaded Sundown they reference, I Spit on Your Grave or I Spit on Your Garage. You know what I mean? There's so many. But anyway, so, um, uh, so you know, like I said, she's at school the next day, and, you know, she talks to State Tatum and Stu for a second. Sydney gets all upset because there's people running around in fucking ghost face costumes in the school. And I want to say that that wouldn't happen in real life, but you know what? I'm not that naive. People are fucking assholes, especially in, like, teenagers. They're dicks. This would happen. I could totally see that. Yeah. So... These assholes are running around the school in ghostface costumes. And, you know, she, she goes and talks to Billy, and he's like, this, is, this scene always makes me think of, the you know, the, the scene from Stab in Scream 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Where, with, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Stupid. and Wilson, yeah. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> so anyway, Billy Loomis talks to Sydney and, like, he pisses her off because he's like, oh, well, I got a girlfriend that would rather, you know, this guy's so emo. I got a girlfriend that would rather label me a murderer than, than touch me. And, you know, she gets pissed off. She runs into the bathroom. And, like, there's these girls calling her, like, a slut. and Like, she's hiding in the stall. And these girls are saying that, um, that you know, maybe she's a slut just like her mom. And uh, saying that she made it all up and shit. And yeah, like, the bitch cheerleader is like that. But the other short-haired little girl with the 1990s haircut uh, is Horrible actually too. saying, yeah, is actually saying, you know, she watched her mom get butchered. You know, give it, you know, give her a break. And then she's yeah. like, where do you get this shit? And of course, the other girl responds, "Ricky Lake," which is again mm-hmm. 1990s tabloid television talk shows. You know, it's funny too because Wes Craven talked about how a lot of these movies. You know, they try to make them timeless. But in this movie, they set it in its own time on purpose. Yeah. So, yep. I agree. Um, so when she gets out of the stall after these bitches leave the bathroom, um, like, she starts hearing Sydney. She's like, what the fuck? She starts looking around. She can't find who's saying it. Finally, you see these boots touch the floor, um, kind of like off, like, like they're standing on a toilet, and they step down and then you see the cloak come down and then he goes chasing after her and she runs out of the bathroom. It was ghost face. But Blake, I want to talk about this scene real quick. Okay. Okay. Certainly. I don't think this was either. Well, we'll get to who the killers are later, but I don't think it was a killer. I think it was a classmate prank. I don't think it, because he didn't have a knife for one thing. Um, and I think we saw the others earlier and I don't think he was in the bathroom with them. And I, I think, you know, because you've got people in costume here. I don't think this was a serious threat on her life. I think it was classmates fucking around with her. I mean, there's no way to prove it, but that's what I think. What do you think? Uh, well, I think, and this is going to sound goofy, but I've only seen this movie, you know, a hundred fucking times at least. Yeah, I've seen it a hundred uh, times over the last three days. I watched it tw- once dead for yesterday and once about three hours before I messaged you earlier. So, I, yeah, I yeah. watched it today. But uh, the sound he makes is the same sound that the bumbling asshole killer makes in front of Casey and when he attacked Sydney initially the first time. It's that <laughs> almost like a fucking like water boy type. You are sound. right. Like, You're right. Yeah, like when he gets kicked by Casey, he makes that exact sound. And I think that is the killer, but again, I don't want to give too much away just in case there is a chance that somebody is listening and and has yeah, we'll give it away. We'll give it away. Henry Winkler, you know? Yes, <laughs> yes, Henry Winkler. He's the other red herring in this movie. Um, yep. And uh, where the fuck? Why have I not talked about this? Those two that were running around and and scream, you know, in in the ghost face masks. Um, they're basically in the principal's office, and Henry Winkler's telling them that, you know, their whole whoring generation, you're both expelled. Basically, he's being really threatening with this pair of scissors with them as he's cutting these masks up. So we get another red herring here with, uh, or is he the killer, with the principal. And, uh, you know, he's basically saying, you're both expelled, get out. And they're like, that's not fair, principal, uh, whatever the fuck his name is. Henry, yeah, yeah. Henry, I wanted to say him something and uh he was like fair would be for me to rip your guts open expose you for the heartless little shits that you are you know and he's like get out so basically yeah yeah looks crazy 
Also, he was perving on Sydney earlier. I was I about to say when, he touched her chin, and the way the sheriff looked at him, like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They mentioned that in the commentary, too, so that was not by accident. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention, while we're on the subject of the sheriff, he should look familiar to you. He is Sergeant Parker in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. He was sort of like the deputy in Nightmare on Elm Street to John Saxon's character. I'll be goddamn. I didn't realize that. Yes, sir. I'm I'm the man for this kind of thing. I'm telling you, man. I just I, uh, horror is my life, bro. I'm <laughs> it's pretty good. Usually, I can pick up on shit like that. I need to go back and watch it again. Apparently. His name is Joseph Whip, and he does some of the conventions. I think he just did, like, a Scarefest or Days of the Dead, like, year before last. They had, like, a Scream kind of reunion with Matthew Lillard and, you know, a couple of the others, but he was there. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, now now what's going on is we've got school is over. We've got a curfew in place because you know, apparently Sid was attacked in school, so that's a good reason to fucking, you know, cancel school. Put a curfew in place, and uh, Tatum's going to throw a party, or, well, Stu's going to throw a party, have Tatum over and everybody. Tatum convinces Sid to go, and Gail Weathers actually takes a cameraman to the party and attempts to, you know, talk to Sidney, but, of course, Dewey intercepts her, which we're going to get to. During all of this, like, Sidney and Casey go to a store not Sydney and Casey. Sydney and Tatum go to a store, like a, a, a convenience store, and in the background you see Ghostface again. Now this is one of the problems with the movie. What fucking sense does it make that Ghostface is running around in costume during the day? See, this is another one where I'm like, I think this is somebody fucking with them. I don't know. Uh, that might that one might have been, but I just I kind of like to look at it like he's given the killer kind of like a supernatural presence about it even though they aren't supernatural because you got people running around the, the school in broad daylight with all that shit on but what a perfect cover because then they could they if somebody was to stop him they'd think he was just another one of those asshole kids he goes to school with that's fucking with her but i think that was him too just because the way he was like casing them the way he does the quick turns and looks at the camera and i, I think that was meant to really be him I should note that uh, before they go to the store, Principal Henry, uh, he uh, is in there trying on the ghost face mask, which is just fucking stupid. And this is when you realize he's definitely not the killer. He's a goof, just like Stu, just like uh, a couple of the others. This guy's a goof. Anyway, so somebody keeps knocking on his fucking door and running off, and he, he like, tries to figure out who it is, and, like, he says, you little shit, and and he says it to Wes Craven in a Freddy Krueger outfit, who's the janitor in this movie, which is just fucking cool. Yeah, and that was actually, did some research, he actually was wearing the exact screen uh-huh. he he sweater and hat yep, that Robert wore, with a solid red sleeve from the first film, because remember, the first one was a good one, the rest of them sucked. And that's yeah, kind of a said, connection there. You know. Yeah, he said, not you, Fred. <laughs> that's what yeah. made it even funnier. He's like, not you, Fred. And, uh, yeah, the principal goes back into his office. Ghostface was hiding behind the door, and he stabs the shit out of Principal Henry. And I have to tell you, this is probably one of the worst kills I've ever seen in my life, at least in terms of acting. He was oh, awful. Oh, oh. He's like, yeah, it's fucking, like, I mean, props to Henry Winkler for wanting to do the movie, but his his death scene was awful. 
It was terrible, except for the well, part where he's the laying there and really you can good. see Ghost. Yes, that's more just the director, though, being awesome. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. and the, the cinematography, you know, the, uh, the photography and, you know, the cameraman and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was a good shot. But his his screams, they were just bad. And I think the reason they were supposed to be bad was because I think that was like his commentary, Wes was making. It's like all these screams sound the same in horror movies. You know, it also yeah. gives you the idea that those two kids that were expelled are now red herrings as well. Because, I mean, why yeah. are they killing the principal? Right? I mean, it just seems random. Right. Um, he fucking expelled them. Fuck the principal. Let's kill that motherfucker. That's what, you know, that's what people were thinking. There's a lot of uh, red herrings. There's one, I think, that's happened by this point that we haven't talked about. The sheriff. Because they came yeah. down after he got his And the boots are the same kind of boots. So you never really see Dewey's boots. But you see the sheriff, so again, you've got like four or five red herrings going on, and you really don't know who the fuck is the killer, because all of them at that point could be suspect. And, and that's something that I think breaking the fourth wall or, or you know, self-referencing it, Jamie Kennedy does. Everybody's a suspect in the middle of the fucking video store and shit. If they watch prom night, they'd save time. Um, yeah, yeah that, that part, that whole scene is awesome. You know, we get to the... Uh, like, apparently there was a run on the mass murder section. Everybody's renting horror movies for this. I mean, it's like Christmas. Everybody's, like, fucking bunkering down, staying in, watching horror movies. There's a curfew. Um, and, you know, he's talking to Stu. And this is interesting because I think it's important later on, after you've watched the movie, to watch it again and you think about it a different way. But when he's talking to Stu, you know, he's saying that Billy's the killer. And Stu is saying that... He thinks it's his pops, or, or her pops. I mean, why can't they find her pops? And I have to tell you, one of the other things that I thought about when I'm watching this is uh, just the fact that they're talking about this. I mean, this is real life. It's supposed to be real life, you know? And they're just kind of like, I don't know. They're not taking it too seriously, that's for fucking sure, you know? Right. That's kind of what the movie is, but. I think this is why they were able to tell the MPAA that it was a comedy, you know. So, we we get this interesting conversation between Stu and Randy. Stu says it's the dad. Randy says it's uh. Randy basically says that it's Billy. Billy comes over, acts creepy as fuck, scares the shit out of Randy, and <laughs> Randy tells him. You know, it's the millennium. Motives are incidental. So you get the idea, again, that maybe Billy is the killer. But, I mean, how did he do it? How did he call Sidney? He was in jail. We'll get to that again later. All right. So now uh, we're going to go to the party part. And this is where the part, you know, where where Stu has the party with all his friends there. And, you know, they've rented a bunch of horror movies. And this scene apparently is the longest part of their entire – or this, this whole, you know, party – thing is like took place for like 41 days or something crazy didn't it Blake uh yeah the filming of it yeah the filming of it is I think it's one of the you know they don't film these things in the order in which they appear a lot of the times they'll film the lengthy part or a part that requires a lot of extras you know first to get the hard stuff out of the way but yeah there was a there was a long time span I'm sure over this but again that's a Wes Craven special too because I mean, look at some of the stuff in Nightmare. You know, they filmed a lot of the uh, revolving room with Tina's death and stuff first. 
or uh, you know, last actually for uh, that film. That scene last, and then it's edited in and put in where it's first. So I think it just goes on time and budget, you know. Which this film had a decent budget, fourteen billion, was the same budget and same amount that he had for uh, West Craven, and I think probably pretty close to what he had for Vampire in Brooklyn. You know, for West Craven's Big Nightmare and Vampire in Brooklyn, you know, fourteen million is pretty uh that's pretty decent for a West Craven, you know, thing considering. You know, it only cost what eighteen one point eight million to make the first nightmare, and it took him you know ten years to get an you know fourteen million dollars for a movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said earlier, Gail she decides she's gonna like you know talk to Sydney, but Dewey actually intercepts her, and uh, Gail sneaks a camera into the house where this party is taking place. And, uh, you know, this is where you kind of notice that Dewey and, and uh, Gail kind of have a thing for each other. I mean, earlier they talked to each other, just a short little scene where Gail was basically trying to get info from Dewey. And uh, he's stupid, so he's kind of giving her what he knew. And, you know, again, still the dad's disappeared. By the way, uh, another subtle reference to the father is that the uh, ghost face costume that they show you that's at every five and dime in the state father is... Father Death. So it's just another little subtle reference that it could be the dad. Um, so, uh, you know, Dewey and Gail, they go to this party, and Dewey's like, uh, he's like, uh, young man, you're too young to drink that. And he's like, I'm just kidding. You know, have a good time. And, like, there's underage drinking and shit, but he, he's not going to break it up. And, and um, Tatum's like, uh, what are you doing here? And she's, he's like, she's with me. Dewey's all excited, and uh, so they go, and uh, they just kind of walk around the house for a minute, and then they leave. Uh, but Tatum, she goes to the garage, and this is one of the also one of the cooler scenes of the movie. Do you agree? Absolutely, yes. The the dialogue and the scene itself. Yep. Yeah, it, it's just really fucking cool, and uh, so. Uh, also, uh, yeah, like so. Tatum, she goes in the garage. She's gonna go get beers for, or get beer for Sue. You know, she's like, "What am I, the beer winch?" By the way, there's a whole lot of things I'm leaving out, like the whole commentary on horror movies, Jamie Lee Curtis, all that bullshit. So anyway, Tatum goes down to the garage, and uh, you know, she's getting the beer. And then when she goes back to get back in, like the door's locked, and then she goes back to uh, open the garage to get out that way, and the the killer is standing there. And this is the first scene where we really just see the killer. Instead of him just popping out or lunging at someone, he's just standing there like, what the fuck, you know? Yep. Because, because of the way that he's there, like Tatum doesn't take it seriously. She, everybody thinks it's Randy every time. Have you noticed that? Like, she thinks this is Randy. Sydney thought it was Randy earlier. He loves horror movies. It would only make sense that Randy would, you know, play a joke right like this, right? Yeah, because it so, doesn't say lose the costume. Randy or Sydney will freak if she yeah. sees it or some shit like that. Yeah. What is this? I, I spit on your garage? And then she takes it serious when he grabs her by the arm and fucking slices her with that hunting knife on the arm. And, uh, you know, she takes off running. She grabs the beer bottle, starts chucking beers at her. And the stuntman's pretty awesome because he gets hit in the nuts and in the face. He gets his ass kicked. Like I said, Ghostface is a big goof. But, you know, he's still threatening, obviously. So she goes and tries to take off, and she tries to get through the doggy door of this garage. 
and Ghostface just fucking turns on the garage, and it raises up, and she can't get out because her tits are too big. <laughs> her, by the way, like, let's, this is where her uh, tits are the hardest in the entire movie. Her, her nipples are, it was nipply that night. There are actually people used to ask her if she was wearing like um, like fake boobs or something to make it look that way. No, her her nipples were just that hard. I used to love her. I used to love her when she'd go around with Marilyn Manson not wearing anything. It was awesome. Anyway, so she gets stuck in the garage door or garage, and he just turns it up, and it, as it raises up, it fucking snaps her neck, basically. This is another scene that was cut shorter by the MPAA, but it was kind of, even though it was slightly unrealistic, it was a really fucking cool scene, a really cool kill, too. Yeah, because it also, like, crushes the side of her, well, you know, it fucks up the side of her face and her head in addition to the yeah. neck breaking thing. And it's just, the way that she dangles, that is one of the most realistic looking uh, mm-hmm. depictions of a hanging death and like a body suspended that I've ever seen. Yeah, it was definitely fucking cool. So, um, uh, then Billy pops up at the front door and and Stu's like, well, you know, you guys can go upstairs with Sydney. You, you and Billy can go upstairs and talk, whatever. He's like, contact you, fuck rag, or whatever it was. That's subtlety, Stu. You should look it up, you know. Yeah, yeah subtlety, Stu. Yeah, you're right. So, anyway, they go upstairs, and they're going to go fuck. We know it. And, uh, anyway, so Sydney, uh, she goes upstairs with Billy, and... Yeah, she decides she's gonna fuck him, and this is we get some other lines from Billy here where he's like, "It's all just one big movie, Sid," which makes you say, "Hmm, maybe Billy is the killer." Watching the movie, you know what I mean? They fuck Sydney after they fuck Sydney's like, um, "Who'd you call?" Like, so who did you who'd you call? <laughs> it's kind of weird that she fucks him and then asks him that question. Isn't that a little bit weird? I guess he fucks some sense into her. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I don't know. I... <laughs> I uh, I I can't speak to the weird shit people say, you know, after sex and before sex, during sex. I can't. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna accuse my wife of being a murderer next time I get laid. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. Anyway. Oh yeah, you killed our neighbor's dog, didn't you, you whore? Oh, <laughs> exactly. Got what I needed. Maybe that's what she was doing. I don't know. She was trying to get him to get, tell him to get out in her own little way. So anyway. And he's like, he acts all threatening, and he's like, what is it that I have to do to prove to you that I'm not a killer? And she looks at him like, and the way she's looking at him, you think that he's looking at, or that she's looking at Billy like she realizes he's the killer, but there's actually something going on behind Billy. And when Billy turns around, he gets fucking stabbed repeatedly by Ghostface. So old Billy, I guess, is not the killer because he's fucking dead. There's blood all over his shirt. Billy falls over. Sydney gets the fuck out of there. Ghostface is after her. Um, Sydney pretty much falls out a window and onto a boat. And then once she gets off the boat, she sees Tatum hanging there in the garage. And by the way, this is about the last time we'll hear about Tatum for the entire series, except for like one time and maybe Scream 4 or something. Just a brief little moment. But good Lord, Tatum should have been a lot more important, but nobody gave a fuck about her. Yeah, yeah, and and you know something else about the scene which Billy bites it, you know, is uh, I think the timing was off because the way she looks at it, she's like, oh my god, but then her eyes when they shoot back to the camera to her, they put the when they pan back to her, her eyes move, and then all of a sudden she looks behind them. So I think maybe what you were saying was true. She was thinking 
he's fucking being weird. And then maybe he is, and then, oh, shit, there is something behind it. But I think it was like a delay, the way it was filmed, because you see her look at him that way, and then yeah. you also see her reaction when uh, Ghostface approaches. And one of the coolest things in the movie is when, he, when the Ghostface stabs Billy the first time, the blood shoots out and, like, sprays on her face and three big dots. That was beautiful. It was awesome. That was really well, really, really well done. Filmed very well. I, and this is actually, is this the first time we see Ghostface wipe the knife? Yes. This is the first time we see him pull his hand over the blade and wipe it off. That was an improv thing. That wasn't in the script. That was something the stuntman did, and they just fell in love with it and kept it in the movies. It became it became a staple of Ghostface. I mean, you don't see oh, other yeah. killers do that shit. Um, and it's really fucking cool, too, I have to say. And I love it. So, uh, yeah, so Sid runs off. And um, what the fuck? Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, so um, Gail and Dewey had gone off to find um, uh, Sid's father's car. Um, and yeah, those drunk kids, they find out, well, it's important to note at that point that uh, uh, Randy gets a phone call, I guess one of the school buddies or something, tells him that they found Principal Henry dead and he was hung up on the goalpost. Yeah, everybody yeah. takes off. Everybody yeah, they're drunk the and shit. Yeah. yeah. And they about run shit. Dewey two up. Of those guys, yeah, two of those guys were the ones that were expelled too, by the way. I don't know if you ever noticed that. but Yeah, yeah, when the one says, how many people dead, how many hellraiser, are the guy, the taller guy, uh, jumps up and high fives Randy during that, and then the other guy like is drinking. And when he when Randy, when uh what Stu says, I'll be right back. During the rules thing, you see the other guy on the couch drunk as fuck. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, this is where uh, doing Gail find the card. They go back to the house. They they, they kind of split up at this point, and. Uh, God, there's so much shit that, I, that that goes on during all this. Like the fat cameraman, uh, like Sid comes running up to the van. Cameraman gets his sl- throat slit, but this is right after Randy's about to bite it, where he's like, "Behind you, behind you," and yeah. uh, you know it's a, a thirty second delay on this camera. So then when the cameraman turns around, he gets his fucking throat slit. Sid's still running from the killer. This whole thing. I love the scene where Sid gets into the cop car. And she's hiding in the cop car, and Ghostface is fucking with her. He's got the keys. He just dangles them at her, and he starts popping the the locks open. It's Did you crazy. notice that the back hatchback opens up slowly? Yeah, and that's just—I don't think that was supposed to be in there because you totally you see it because he he you don't see him get in it, but you see the thing open, and then all of a sudden I think he's it's in there. supposed to be creepy. I really do. Like I remember watching it and seeming like it was obvious to me. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but it it was effective either way. I don't know. What about the other thing? Was the pop in the locks? He popped the locks, murdered the car. Yeah. How the fuck he's he fucking with her? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I think maybe he was reaching up, and you know what I mean. Who knows though? This was clearly not like a remote. There's some system. supernatural elements in this. I think it sure seems bit. like it, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe implied, because obviously we know the killers are human, obviously. It's not like ghost faces. I mean, we know it's somebody. You know, mm-hmm. we don't, we know it's not like a monster. It's some fucking asshole in a costume getting his rocks off by killing people. So I don't know yeah. if it's just supposed to have a little bit of that supernatural vibe to it or what. But that connects later on with 
the other movies too, you know. Yeah, so all all sorts of shit goes on. Like Dewey gets stabbed in the back. Gail gets in the news van. She swerves to avoid hitting Sid, who's looking for help, and runs the car down a hill, running into a fucking tree. It looks like she's dead at this point. So Dewey and Gail, you think, are dead at this point. And all you really have left are Sidney, Randy, uh, Stu, and maybe the dad somewhere. Uh, Well, and, of course, the sheriff. uh, But not that we know of in the house, uh, or the dad for that matter, but we know the car's nearby. So anyway, Sydney gets to the house, and this is fucked up, because she's in the house, she's got Dewey's gun, and she runs kind of like into Randy and Stu, who are trying to get into the house, and this is weird. Like, what happened to Randy's leg? I know Gail hit him in the face with a phone because she thought he was the killer at the time, but what happened to his fucking leg? He's holding his leg and limping. I think when she hit him in the face, he fell down because remember he falls out of frame, and maybe that's when he hurt his leg, you know, and because he's like you said limping when he comes back, and because he's like he's like Sydney, we gotta get the fuck out of here, this this and that, and he's limping, and he's also got a bloody spot and a bruise on his head. I think when she hit him in the head, he fell down because you don't see him because remember he cries out ah ah when she's like hitting him with the fucking phone and shit. I I wonder why Randy thinks Stu's the killer. I mean, just I guess he found bodies and just didn't know who did it. He said he saw you know, they're like arguing. They're both calling each other the killer at this point. Well, remember what he says earlier? He said there's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend and fucking uh-huh. pay Stu's girlfriend. So, nice little maybe. foreshadowing there. Yeah. Um, so. But Maybe. yeah, Stu's trying to come in the house and get. The, he's like, "Give me the gun, baby! Give me the gun!" And uh, Randy just wants to get the fuck out of there. Well, eventually, you know, she locks the door, says, "Fuck you both!" And then you hear like, "Can you hear in the background where Randy's like screaming?" It sounds like maybe Stu's beating the shit out of him or something. Yeah, they're scuffling, and then all of a sudden you hear ah, and you look up, yeah. the camera pans up, and it's fucking Billy. He's not quite dead. By the way, I love when Billy shows up. And uh, Vic, you'll like this if you're listening. Nope, he hung up again. I think he's having shitty connection down there. Anyway, um, he Randy says, uh, "What's Leatherface doing here?" Oh, when Billy shows uh, up. Yeah, yeah. When he shows up at the party earlier in the night. Yeah, there goes my chances with Sid. Damn it. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yep. He's good. like, as if, as if. Oh, really, Alicia? No. <laughs> what the um, fuck is that from? That Alicia is that like from a movie? He's calling her Alicia Silver uh, Silverstone, you know, from um, Clueless. Clueless. Okay. That's why it's not from a movie, but she said as if all the time, and that wasn't too long before this movie. A few years, I used to jack. Uh, up one year before. Say. One year before. Yeah. Wow. Really? Only a year. Nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, Stacy Dash Jesus. and. Uh, Paul Rudd, that was his, uh, yeah. well, that was technically his second movie, because I think he did Halloween, yeah, Halloween Curse out first. Yeah. God damn, I loved Alicia Silverstone. She was so fucking hot. Probably still is. Um, but, yeah, it, it, that's where that comes from. So he's just making a joke about Clueless. Okay. I used to have that on VHS, believe it or not, just because I thought she was hot. Brittany Murphy was in that movie, too. And I don't know who it was. It might have been somebody I heard, and I read it somewhere, that she, with her children, because she has, I think, two or three kids, Alicia Silverstone, she fed them. I would give her more. 
breast milk until they were like five or six years old. That's, that's fucking weird, but I'm not that's surprised. That's a little weird. People in Hollywood are fucking weird, dude. Yeah, but her and Batman and Batman and Robin, I really hated the movie, but she was sexy as hell in the Bat costume. I'm sorry. I, I would take I would take those kids' place though if she wants. You know what I'm saying? That's oh, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> I love you like a brother, man. I just come to expect that from you. That was beautiful. That's, <laughs> I was waiting on though. I was waiting on that on something. <laughs> you've been so clean and toned down and so well behaved on a the podcast. Hey, Vic, Vic, you're back. Yeah. I just yeah. basically said that I would uh, breastfeed off of Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Did you tell him about the weird part? Vic, she, it's, it's said that she breastfed her kids until they were like five or six years old. That's a little strange, isn't it? Yeah, I wish you would do that to me. I mean, I, I would do it at 37. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I would live on nothing but that. That's, That's fine. So I give up nachos for that, Vic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we brought up Alicia Silverstone only because of the part where he's like, oh, really, Alicia? And Vic, I mentioned earlier that uh, Randy calls Billy Leatherface earlier. He's like, what's Leatherface doing here? So you get your Leatherface reference. Mm-hmm. Are you alive, sir? Are you drinking, Vic? He's got no fucking coverage. He's in the middle of nowhere. I can what tell. What the hell is he? Don't even worry about it. He's going to die is what's going to happen. Something. Well, I mean, I thought y'all were both up in the same area this time. Is that not the case? No, Vic's like in Elizabethtown, and I'm in Louisville. Louisville's a big city, and Elizabethtown's bumfuck Egypt. Is it that far away from? Are y'all far away from each other? It's about forty minutes. Is that about oh, right, Vic? Okay. Yeah, yeah Louisville is like I think what Bowling Green is like thirty minutes for me. I think Louisville is like an hour and a half for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bowling Green's like two hours from uh for me. Oh, okay. I think. Anyway, yeah, I, I went to that place the sanitarium a couple of years ago on a date with my wife and I was there. So I remember it was like two and a half hours from where I was living at the time to get there. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So like I said, Billy stumbles down the stairs. He lets Randy and Stu into the house, you know, cause he gets Sydney to give him the gun and he shoots Randy. And this is where he turns around and everything is fucked now. And he's like, Hmm. Corn syrup, same thing they use for pig blood and carry. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, before that, shit. we get to we all go a little mad sometimes. Yes. Anthony Perkins, psycho, and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, you know it's so funny. Anthony Perkins is so similar to Anthony Hopkins that it always throws me off. You know, because Silence of the Lambs, Psycho, uh, it fucks me up. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So. uh did now he realizes that Billy was only pretending to be stabbed, obviously, and he's the fucking killer. But she just turns around, and right out of the kitchen comes Stu. And she's like, help me, please. And Stu's like, surprise, Sydney. He's got this voice box. And now we know why none of the killers, or none of the, nobody sounded like this guy, like Randy uh, Roger Jackson on the phone, 
because they have a voice box that they're changing their voice bo- voice with. You can buy one of those on eBay, by the way. Yeah, and they do one. sound a lot like uh, Roger L. Jackson's voice. The technology in them has gotten way better. Uh, I need one. Yeah. Yeah, and I need to talk about. with people. Uh, so, um, now like I said, Stu and Billy, they're both the killers. I didn't see that shit coming at all. At all. I might have thought... Billy had done it at some point, but I didn't see both of them as the killers. No, because Stu plays, he's such a fucking goof ass. Yeah. I mean, Stu's just aloof, you know? And then then it comes the bigger thing. It's like, oh shit, not only did they kill everybody that's been in the movie that's died so far, but they're also fucking responsible for her mother's death. Yep. Which, by the way, let's backtrack real quick. Let's talk about some of the kills. Um, principal would have had to be Billy because Stu was walking along with Tatum and all of them at the time. So that would have been Billy that did that, I assume. Um, let's see. Um, Casey, I think it was both of them. I think they were both doing it, which is why they seem to be everywhere, you know? Sydney, I don't know. I, think... I don't know, man, on that one because I think at one point right after that when when you see, when, what is it, Stu says something about, yeah, the Candyman, after you brand in the Candyman, he's favoring something on him. Like, she goes to, like, knee him and doesn't even make contact, and he's like, ow, because remember, fucking Casey Becker need him in the nuts, so he's, like, showing yeah. his injuries, you know? Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because Billy gets to Sydney's awful fucking fast. That's um, why I think both of them are there. I think I think both of them are at Sydney's. Oh no! I mean, like the next day, you know, when they try to kill Sydney, I think it's both of them again. Maybe I, th- that's a point. That's a point of contention. You could debate this. It's, shit it's hard. It's hard to fucking prove. I mean, for sure, Henry was Billy. For sure, for sure, yeah. Henry was Billy. And uh, uh, yeah, for Tatum sure was that. too. No wait, Tatum was Billy also. Tatum was Billy because Stu was sitting on the couch arguing with Randy yeah. about the rules and shit. And then you got yeah. the other one, the cameraman. That was uh, that was probably Stu because Billy Stu. was up. Billy was acting he, dead. Billy was acting dead, yeah. So you can almost pinpoint down who was who. Stu killed a lot of motherfuckers, didn't he? Yeah, hell yeah, he did. Hell yeah. Stu's awesome, but Billy's awesome, too, in his own way. He's just the more psycho of the two of them. So, anyway, um, this is this is a fucked up part. So, they have Sydney basically cornered in the kitchen, and, you know, Billy's, like, uh, telling her that, you know, one year ago, it's the anniversary of us killing your mom, and, and Sydney's, like, trying to figure out why, and he's like, you hear that, Stu? I think she wants a motive, and he's like, um, he's like, um, you know, it's scarier without a motive. And then he kind of stops. And see, I don't think Stu knew about this. And maybe you'll disagree. I don't I don't think Stu knew, okay, that that Billy's mom or that Billy's dad was fucking her mom. Because Billy he the look on his this. face. The look yeah. on his face, he had no fucking idea. Like I don't think he had a clue. It didn't change anything. But I like it's it's like you watch it again, and you're like, hmm, interesting. Another thing that I didn't mention earlier was when Billy was in the police station and the cop, uh, you know, the sheriff's interviewing Billy and the dad's sitting next to him, you realize that the dad's starting to think that maybe Billy's the killer too. 
Like, if you watch the dad's expressions, you, you yeah. see that change from, he didn't fucking do it, to, well, shit, maybe he did, you know? Yeah, you see that. And again, I think that's purposely, you know, like to do yeah. that, to throw you off, to see who's going to be, who's going to go along. Well, I can damn sure tell you, I, I wasn't there, obviously, at the theater, but I bet people in the audience watching the movie at the movie theater did the same shit. They were up hollering at the screen and, and shit. And uh, that's kind of parodied. We'll get to that later in, or, you know, referenced in Scream 2. And then again in that other movie, the spoof, uh, scary movie. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But that's so, so weird, you know, to think about. Stu, Stu had no fucking idea. Or if he did know something was up, he's like, well, maybe that's why this was Billy's fucking grand idea to kill, you know, this, you know, kill the mom was because of, you know, this. Because you don't know what he told Stu when they went yeah. to kill Sydney's mom about why they were fucking doing it. But I don't think he but, knew. Yeah, like, I really think Stu really was peer pressure. Remember when he says peer pressure, I'm far too sensitive? I think he's telling the truth. Yeah, I think you he is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, some yeah, of okay. My mom's so Billy... so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, Billy reveals that, uh, you know, his mom, or that her mom had an affair with his dad. And so his mom ran out on him. And Billy, you know, he blames Mrs. Prescott for, you know, his the dissolution of their marriage. And, you know, they murdered Mrs. Prescott out of revenge. Um, they also now show that Mr. Prescott, they have him, and they're going to blame him for all this shit. You know, they framed Cotton Weary, and now they're going to frame him. And uh, this is the part where they start stabbing each other, and, like, she's like, you fucking crazy psychos, you uh, watch too many crazy, scary movies. And he's like, one of the best lines in the movie, uh, how's it go? Vic, how's it go? Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Yes. That's the one. That's the one. And, uh, yeah, this is why they're stabbing each other, to make it look like they were wounded by the killer. Um, Because they're going to try to be the sole survivors of this whole thing, but they have to look like they were injured, at least, by the killer and somehow survived. The killer being Mr. Prescott. Yeah, yeah in, a fun, in a funny reference, I mimic that one line that he says in front of my wife all the time. When he's like, come on, get it out, get it out. I, I do that shit <laughs> to her all the time. And the morning, come I'm like, on, get baby. it out. Come on. Yeah, go, come go on, for baby. it. Yeah, come on, do it, baby. You know, like, <laughs> yep. I'm yep, ready, baby. Fucking... <laughs> yeah, baby. And, like, Stu's spitting through all this. And, and Stu gets the shit stabbed out of him repeatedly. And it's like, I don't think they realized how bad that this was going to suck. Yeah, he and, just um, wanted a good shot in on Billy. That's what he's like, God damn it, Stu. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're both thinking about, um, you know, killing each other or uh, killing now Sydney with the knife. But before they do, Gail Weather shows up and uh, she's got a gun. And, and uh, Billy's like, you know, I thought she was dead. And Stu's like, she looks dead, man. <laughs> Still does. Still does. <laughs> and uh, anyway, the fucking safety's on on the gun, and Gail can't figure it out, and Billy just kicks her, takes the gun from her. And uh, so she's laying there, like, knocked out with Dewey, who's just possibly dead. And uh, Very Romeo and Juliet, you know. Yeah. Yep. So when they turn around, Stu's like, Houston, we got a problem, man. <laughs> and uh, she was right there, like, She's gone. 
Sydney's gone. Oh, you're talking about yeah. He says Houston, we got a problem when the gun's gone, and he looks up and fucking yep. Gail Weathers has got it. And then when he's what is it? He says this is Gail Weathers signing off, and he's about to shoot her. And then Stu just says shit. And then Billy turns around. He's like, God damn it, what? <laughs> yep. What is it this time? Yep. And then because Stu wasn't watching, Stu wasn't yeah. watching Sydney like he was supposed to. He wanted to see Gail get killed because they're both crazy, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, like, yeah, Sydney um, goes and hides in a closet, right? And uh, in the meantime, I-, I meant to mention this earlier, but you get the Halloween music playing in the background. And this proves to me that the Halloween theme and all the music in that movie is still the greatest themes in horror movie history because it enhances these scenes so much. Like, seriously, you can hear this music playing, and um, Sydney, like, calls them. And and Stu picks up. He's like, "Hello," <laughs> and she's like, "Are you alone in the house?" And and like Billy's going crazy in this house. He's fucking going nuts, like slashing up couches and stuff. Cut you up, and, bitch, and, just like your fucking mother. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and Sydney's like, uh, Sydney's like, Stu, Stu, Billy has a motive. What's your motive going to be? He's like, peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. <laughs> And then he throws the phone at him, and he's like, yeah, just after phone, Billy dick. hits her with the phone, he's like, you hit me with the phone, dick. That was improv. And then the next part was improv, too, and he's like, did you really call the police? You bet your ass I did. My mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Oh, we didn't talk about one thing, I guess, because it's about to happen now. Uh, they show a parallel of the movie, the first Halloween, that iconic scene when uh, Michael Myers yeah. punches his hand through the closet Except it's reversed this time because Sydney comes out of the closet with a fucking umbrella and stabs the fuck out of Billy in the chest with it. Right as they show the scene with Michael Myers, like it parallels perfectly. It's beautiful. Beautiful. It, it's interesting because, like, if you really watch it now, like Billy, I think gets the idea. Oh shit, she's in the closet. You know what I mean? Because he's watching Halloween as this is going on. But because Billy's obsessed with horror movies. Which you'll realize if you rewatch the movie, because he talks about Exorcist, all this other shit throughout the movie, but you just don't really pick up on it the first time you watch it, you know? Like, you just think Randy's the one that's obsessed with horror movies. But if you watch it back, Billy will talk about horror movies throughout the whole thing. Anyway, so, like, he pauses to kind of take a look at Halloween. He's wanting to watch the movie, and that fucks him over, because Sid pops out of that closet with the umbrella, like you said, Boy, she must have hit him fucking hard, too, because he, like, fucking falls over dead. And I know he's not dead, but he falls over like he's dead. Well, he's also I know that he got stabbed, stabbed. And, and she probably... Yeah, but just, did he yeah. just pass out? No, I think it just knocked him off guard and knocked the wind out of him because she, she stabbed him with the point of the umbrella, probably in one of those wounds. And then he was like, oh, fuck, so he kind of fell over because... He was bleeding out and fucking, I mean, obviously not as bad as Stu. Stu's like, yeah. Stu's dying like blood here, everywhere. I'm yeah. dying, man. Yeah, <laughs> Stu was just bleeding everywhere. And it was fucking violent. I mean, there's a lot of fucking blood in here. MPAA was so pissed off about all these scenes, but Wes Craven got it through. But there was so much blood, like especially with Stu. He's like dripping blood. And, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Stu comes charging at her, starts choking her the shit out of her, and he says, I always had a thing for you, Sid. And you know what this makes me think of? Remember, and this could have been Billy too, I guess, but whenever he, they attacked Billy or Stu, or shit, Sydney at her house, and they were 
like the person that was on top of her was rubbing the knife on her. It seemed like that might be Stu. You know? Maybe, yeah. Because he always kind of had a thing for her. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I could see that. And then he gets kneed in the fucking groin again. again. Oh, my God. He, like he takes so many nut shots in this movie. It's just ridiculous. Yep. And then she drops one of those big-ass televisions on his face, fries him, and that's the end of Stu. And, uh, uh, like, I guess at this point, uh, you know, Randy starts checking on her, and Billy pops up and punches Randy. Is that right? Yeah. And he starts choking the shit out of Sydney. And uh, this is when Gail shows up and actually shoots him this time. Uh, and she's like, I guess the safety wasn't on that time, you bastard. And then Sid kind of stands over him, and Randy's like, um, careful, Sid, this is that moment where, you know, the, the killer always pops, pops up. Dead, the killer pops up, yeah. Yeah, and then she shoots him in the fucking head as he goes, rah! And she's like, not in my movie. And, uh, yeah, the movie ends this way, like this. You know, Dewey is, like, carted out, and he's asking, where's Gail? Which I never really noticed until this time, or these last few times that I watched it, that he was saying, where's Gail? And Gail didn't give a fuck about him in this one. And, uh, you know, he's alive, which, you know, we weren't sure if he was or not. We thought he was dead, but Randy's alive, too. Originally, they were going to have Dewey dead, but they decided, you know, to film a scene with him alive just in case, and they decided to keep that, so that worked out. And Gail reports that, you know, the Mocker House has been the scene of what seemed to be some real-life scary movie. It was a really cool ending to the movie with her reporting there live. And uh, that's the end of Scream. Um, it it was, I mean, fuck. I don't even, like, I was blown away the first time I saw this by, you know, who the killers were. Like, I was shocked. But, Blake, I'll let you uh, talk about it first, my friend. Oh, well, I mean, what are we talking about? <laughs> well, whatever you want. You can talk about the whole thing and give your rating, because I think we're all going to have the same rating, but we'll find out. Oh, yeah. I mean, as that for, for ratings, since I can't really use for, you know razor gloves for this, I'd have to use four hunting knives. I'd say it's a four hunting knife for me. It's just a, a seamless piece of, you know, brilliant celluloid. It was, you know, a powerhouse team of Kevin Williamson who, who went on to write Dawson's Creek you know, and actually wrote Scream to sell right quick to keep his car from being repossessed. He wrote it over a weekend. It was 110 pages. And he he wrote it on uh, Friday and Saturday and sent it off. And by Monday, it was in a bidding war between Sharon or Oliver Stone and uh, one other horror director, and they ended up passing on it. Wes passed on it initially because he just didn't really see that it was going to be, you know, something that he wanted to do. Um, he passed on it. And then um, I heard Sharon Stone actually wanted to have something to do with it because she had a film production company and wanted to try to get something with it. But then Wes came back and said, fine, I'll do it. You know, that'll be fine. That was about that time, I think, the uh, you told the story during the Wes Craven tribute special, which is kind of cool because it's, that's the first show I was on with you guys. And uh, he's at a convention, and some kid says, you know, you really should do another scary movie because you haven't had a good one since Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, uh, and I think that's part of what cajoled him into going back and doing this. So um, he went and did this one, and 
And Williamson's riding was just brilliant. I mean, obviously his car didn't get repossessed. I think he was able to take care of the car and, you know, lots of other things too because it was just, it was wonderful. And he signed a three-picture deal, you know, or two-picture deal uh, for the riding. He didn't end up riding on the third one. That got passed out to uh, Aaron Kruger, who shares, Mm -hmm. you know, a name, Kruger, which is funny, you know, seeing as how, you know, Wes Craven, you know, created Freddy Kruger. It's kind of funny that... Isn't it weird that we never got Freddy in any of these movies? Or not Freddy, I mean Robert England. I mean, not to spoil all the others, but you think we would have got a cameo at some point. Am I missing something? Did we never have one? Uh, Did you watch the documentary Scream, The Inside Story? Yeah. He makes a cameo in that. Well, yeah, but I mean, like like in the actual movies. You're talking in the movie, no. No, um, you didn't get a cameo of him in the movie because I looked. But you get nods to him, you know. Obviously, the Frank yeah. Krueger character. Yeah, he know. pops up in the. He pops up in the, what this movie inspired, and that was Urban Legend. Yeah, again, you know, another great, another great, uh, you know, pretty good film, slasher film that was sort of like you said, informed by this postmodern deconstructionist uh, horror movie. And if you notice, it set the trend because now when there's a movie where. Uh, there's people in it that are all the same age and they're fans of like the horror thing. You see that and they reference movies and, and stuff like that. That that was something that wasn't done before Scream. Well, I mean, it was sort of in the West Craven's New Nightmare. The film formula, and, and Robert Englund gives that a lot of credit for the Scream uh, series. He says, I believe Scream is far more popular than Nightmare on Elm Street, but I always believe that West will have a special place in his heart for Mr. Kruger. You know, but Scream are his greatest successes, and and I think that we, you know, Nightmare, you know, is in part of you know that film series success because Wes Craven's new Nightmare was that first sort of scary experimental Valentine, to, you know, paraphrase Robert Englund, you know, that was like a deconstructed horror movie where the characters knew the ins and outs of the horror movies, they quoted the lines, they knew the scenes. And it kind of plays on the fans because when fans attend conventions, Robert and lots of other people that you guys have met and people that I know in the industry, when they meet people that are fans, they're like, these people know more about the movies and the characters and their, and, and what's going on with them than we do. And we created the movies. So it's sort of that, it's sort of like a commentary on, you know, and a satire on uh, fandom. You know, as as a as a whole, I think it's wonderful. It's one of the best movies ever made. You know, and then we were going through that period in the '90s where horror was kind of not. You know, it was kind of dying. It has that. You know, ever so often something new will come out and reinvigorate it. It was kind of dying when Nightmare on Elm Street came out. You know, that kind of reinvigorated it. And before that, you know, Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth kind of reinvigorated horror. And then in the 90s, you had, I have to give credit to Scream. A lot of people say Blair Witch, but Blair Witch come out four years, you know, three or four years after the first Scream movie. I give Scream all the credit in the world for uh, bringing back a dead art form because there was literally not very many good horror movies in the 90s that I recall. I mean, Leprechaun was okay, but it wasn't like Scream. You know, there just weren't many. I mean, Candyman 2 was okay. You know, and there were some other ones that were decent, but none of them could carry the weight of the genre like Scream did. So I give Wes and Kevin Williamson all the credit in the world and the wonderful cast and crew and everybody else that worked on it. It's a great movie. 
If you haven't seen it and you're listening, I don't know what your problem is, but get your ass out and pick up a copy on DVD or Blu-ray and watch these films because they're just a seamless part of horror movie history. I mean, they're right up there with Friday the 13th and Elm Street and Chainsaw and, you know, Halloween. They're wonderful. Four out of four hunting knives for me. Well, so uh, I always talk about this movie, uh, and I always use this analogy. I call Scream the Michael Jordan of horror movies. And while that may sound like I'm calling it the best horror movie of all time, I'm not calling it that. But what I am calling it is this. This is how influential this movie is. Everything after Scream for a long period of time wanted to be like Scream. And that was both good and bad um, because it reinvented horror. It it brought horror back. Now, Michael Jordan have to, didn't have to bring basketball back because you had Magic Johnson and Larry Bird that had done that before him. Um, but, you know, Scream had brought horror back when it was a dwindling art form. Um, and then everybody after that wanted to be like that. Remember the commercials, I want to be like Mike? That's what happened in basketball. So Scream was sort of the same way, but it was good and bad. And because it's not Scream's fault, obviously, but, you know, in basketball, you had five, eight point guards wanting to be like Michael Jordan, and it just didn't work. I mean, you had Allen Iverson that was great, but then you had a bunch of point guards that couldn't be Michael Jordan but wanted to be. Scream was the same way. It was such a fucking good movie that you had all these imitators that could not touch the greatness of Scream. Um, you know, I know what you did last summer. Urban Legend, Valentine, there, there were a bunch more. And they all copied everything from Scream and then changed it up a little bit, including the box, you know, the, the art on the uh, cover of, you know, the box, which I hate because um, I just want the art and they instead have a bunch of actors which doesn't do anything for me, but I guess they're trying to sell it on casual fans. So anyway, um, so that's me speaking to the importance of Scream. Scream had a few problems in the movie itself. Like I talked about Ghostface popping up in places that it wouldn't make any sense for him to pop up, especially in costume. Or like you said, the locks. Maybe Ghostface could do that with the keys, but it just seems too hard to do. Um, I guess he could just be, you know, not Taking seen. a knife and manipulating some kind of mechanism under the car. Well, not even that. He could have been laying next to the car, you know, but it seemed like the back door was opening while that was going on. And I don't know how that could fucking happen. So you're right. There's there's some things here that don't make sense. So there's a little goofy things, but they don't hurt my enjoyment of the film whatsoever. The, the, the payoff was awesome. The two killers did not fucking see coming. I don't care who you are. If you say you saw it coming, you're probably lying. You may have gotten one of them. I think at some point I thought Billy was the killer. I don't think I ever thought Stu was the killer. A lot of people probably thought Randy was the killer. Dude was obsessed with horror movies. And then the dad was the obvious red herring. You had the principal, and then he gets killed. I thought Dewey was the fucking killer when I first saw him. Yeah, because especially when he says, you're not scared, are you? And he's got the, yeah, I think that was their last attempt at making him the uh, red herring. But, yeah, there were a lot of red herrings in this movie, and they just did an excellent job. Uh, overall, I thought the, the ghost face mask was amazing. Um, the, the whole costume, I mean, it grows on you. And obviously, it's 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 still important to this day because you still see pe- kids wearing this at Halloween every single year. You know, if people spend all that money on the cosplaying. You don't have to. You go spend 20 bucks. You've got the actual fucking suit that he wore. Mask, yes. robe included. 
And it's not like Michael Myers where they fucked up the mask in, in multiple, you know, episode or uh, entries after the fact. You just get, or even like Jason, where you can get a shitty hockey mask and it doesn't look good. This one's easy. And it's funny because they had to go through so much trouble to find this mask. I was going to go through a lot of trivia, but this show actually lasted an hour and 45 minutes just talking about the movie. So I, I won't, but if you go to IMB, IMDb, you can find all sorts of trivia about it. The one thing I wanted to throw out is that, you know, I talked about this earlier. They're having a hard time finding a filming location because they were originally supposed to uh, film it at this high school, Santa Rosa High School in California in the Santa Rosa district. But apparently they all pulled out because they got all pissy about some girl getting kidnapped and murdered around there. So, so because they were such a pain in the ass, Wes Craven put in the end credits under the special thanks section. No thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board, which to me is just fucking amazing. What actually happened was they were concerned about the rating of R with lots of blood, a rated R. Hey, Blake, talk for for a minute about the movie. I'll be right back. I got to mute my phone real quick and go take care of a daughter. I'll be right back. Okay. Um, But, yeah, what they were really... um, what they were really commenting on with that was uh, they were afraid that with the rating of R and all the blood and it being a horror movie, that it wasn't going to look good for the school. But after they turned screen now, they went ahead and went with another movie. It was directed by, I believe, Ron Howard called Inventing the Habits. It was a love story set at the high school, and it, too, was rated R, so with lots of foul language. So they traded in one good movie for another. But I don't think it hurt to film, you know, as a whole, because we never saw what that other location would have looked like. So it was very uh, very interesting to see all the, the stuff that um, went into the making of the film, uh, you know, as far as location, scouting, and um, actors, the actors that they chose. Just really good overall film, and and like Travis was saying, and, and you know I can kind of piggyback off what I said earlier. Uh, uh, horror was going through one of those like dead points, where there just wasn't a lot of good horror out there. Ever so often it does that, and uh, I mean I'll, I'll use a quote that Wes Craven used, and he said every so often it goes through a dead period, but then it comes back like gangbusters, and it's just funny that he was you know at the head of a movie that brought horror back from, you know, the point of no return for a second time. You know, mm-hmm. he did it first in 1984 with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then he did it again with Scream in 1996. Is that you, Travis? Are you back? Yeah. Yeah, I'm back. Sorry about Is that. that. I don't everything know. okay? Yeah, I mean, there's a kid crying. I don't know which one. I, and I got up there, and nobody was crying anymore. So, it's oh, all good. Okay. Well, they just I, don't want me to sleep, but I'm not trying to sleep right now, so it's not a big deal. Well, all I was saying was I was piggybacking off what you said, and as far as the reason the Santa Rosa turned them down, they had, they were worried about the blood, the gore, and the language, and the rating of R, but at the same time, they turned down Scream in favor of a movie called Inventing the Abbots, which was a love story set at the high school directed by Ron Howard, which was also rated R with lots of foul language. So they turned down mm. Scream for no reason, but I don't think it hurt the movie because we are so used to that location. We don't know what the other location would have looked like unless you go watch, you know, Inventing the Abbots. So that's yeah, why. Yeah, Craven fought for an American location, too. Like, he was willing to quit the uh, job over it. They didn't want to do it. They wanted to do it in Canada originally. And uh, he said, no, fuck you. 
Yeah, it was weird. But yeah, Wes knew what he was doing. I mean, there was just so many good things. Like, I think a lot of people give Kevin Williamson a lot of uh, you know credit for the success of the movie, which he deserves a lot. Um, but you know, Wes Craven. I mean, you needed you needed, it, 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 you needed the, the right director, and I think that's why they were so obsessed with getting Wes Craven for the movie, is because the script was awesome. But you still need a director that can deliver it. You know, it could have turned out bad. Um, oh, absolutely. And honestly, I think it would have been worse had Drew Barrymore played Sydney. I mean, I talked about it earlier, but I think this movie would have been too focused on Drew Barrymore and less focused on the actual quality of the movie. By the way, I don't know if Vic's coming back. He's hung up and called like eight times. I don't know what's the deal, but he gives it four chainsaws out of four. I give it four machetes out of four. There's no possible way anybody should ever give it anything less than four. So that's my opinion. Well, I'll give it four out of four uh, Freddy gloves then, Razor gloves, since you guys use your normal. Uh, well, we always do. But you know what? If we're going to go with that, then four hunting knives, and uh, we'll just throw that on top of it all. This movie, oh. this deserves to be up there with Texas Chainsaw, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, uh, Halloween, all of that shit. It, it's as good or better than any of them. I mean, right. the acting is better than most of them. Oh, yeah, with the exception of a few characters and stuff. But, yeah, uh, yeah. and I wanted to kind of... Except for the principal. He sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's but, uh, funny because it's Henry Winkler. Proper Winkler and bees. You could do it. <laughs> He's a fucking midget, by the way. We saw uh, him at Fright, Nest, Fright Night Film Fest six years ago uh, or so, maybe seven uh, years now, and he was fucking short and apparently kind of an asshole. And really? Vic, yeah, Vic actually met Matthew Lillard, who was... Matthew Lillard is awesome. Stu, dude, yeah. he is cool as hell. And and Billy, you know, Skeet Ulrich, he was cool too. We met them last year at Scarefest. Cool guys, especially Lillard. Like, I can't say enough good things about him. He's a he's a really cool guy. Oh, Which yeah, you can tell sure. from the movie, I think. You know, just the way he acts. Yeah, and then, I mean, he had a, you know, they showed some video clips online of him. A little girl was in line to see him because uh, she was a fan he of did Scooby-Doo. Or yeah. Shaggy, rather. Yeah. Yeah, and didn't know that was him. Her face lit up, and it just made him so happy to uh, to do that. But, uh, man, you know, we were talking about um, horror going to a dead point. I think it's really cool to end this show with a, a sort of a quote from Wes. He, he said that every so often in film, horror experiences a dead, you know, a dead point where it's it's banned outright or it's not socially acceptable or, you know, there's there's something that's keeping it from rising up and it just falls down again, but it comes back like gangbusters. And how cool is it that he could say it happened twice for him in the 80s with Nightmare on Elm Street because horror was going on a down, a, you know, a downfall. You know, we were told in 1984 that we were getting the last Friday the 13th movie. We, we, you know, there wasn't a there wasn't a Halloween that year, um, and there was really nothing else. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything else. So then he comes out with Nightmare on Elm Street, and then again in 1996, he directs a masterpiece that brings horror back from the dead again. You know, I mean, how cool is it that we can say that he helped a, revolu- a revolutionary, uh, you know, revolutionary revitalization of horror? Twice, not just once, but twice. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I always say that, like, I, I put John Carpenter above Craven, but you have to give commercially more credit to Craven because of Scream. 
Um, Nightmare, obviously, too, but Scream, I mean, it was, as much as, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street is more his baby, Scream was the more successful monetarily, I guess, you know? Oh, well, I mean, you know, to this date, I don't know exactly how much money um, all of the Scream films combined have made. I you have, have to adjust for inflation and all that bullshit, too, you know? And then you've got the, t- the TV series, is probably, even though a lot of people don't like it, a lot of people still watch it, you know, so that rating's there. And then... I watched uh, the I, whole first season, but I haven't watched the second, and I don't know if it's any good or not. First one was okay. I just didn't... I didn't care enough to keep on watching, though, you know? Yeah, they changed the mask, too, which was kind of, you know, shitty, but whatever. I hate it. Yeah, and... It looks, it, I guess it looks okay for what they're going for, but it's like, then why even call it Scream? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and, and at last count, as far as I'm aware, um, Nightmare has made around $600, $700 as far as movies being out, box office receipts, uh, merchandising, licensing fees, and all that stuff, and... Um, uh, but I, I would have to say that Scream has probably made way more than that because I have seen the Scream costume on at least one child every year since Scream come out. And there are years when I don't see Freddy Krueger costumes. To my there's there's two course. popular ones, the hockey mask and the ghost face. Now, I yeah. know that you may see Leatherface, you may see Freddy, you may see Michael, but for some, I guess because they're cheap. You don't need a bunch of bullshit with them. You know what I mean? With Freddie, yeah. you need all sorts of things to make it work. With Michael Myers, you need the mask, and the jumpsuit's not so easy for a kid, you know. But this is just easy—a cloak and a and a and a ghost face mask, easy. Oh yeah, I mean you go spend thirty bucks. I mean if you want to get really fancy and get the one that bleeds, you can you know press the the thing in the palm of your hand and make it bleed. You can go spend forty or fifty bucks and get that. And uh, have the bleeding knife and, you know, all that kind of shit, too. I mean, it's it's very economical and affordable to do that costume. Yeah, and it's interesting because, uh, I don't know, man. This, like I said, it's it's hard. You know, I always say the Mount Rushmore of horror is, you know, Jason, Freddy, Michael, Leatherface. But there's a debate there that maybe Ghostface should be there instead of Leatherface. And I hate to say that. And it probably upsets Vic whenever I talk to him. But it's like Leatherface is more underground. And you see Ghostface every year at Halloween. So it's hard to say. That, you know what I'm saying? It just depends on what you're looking for. We'll get more into the series as a whole as we move on. Next week we're talking two of them, two and three next week. Because they were released pretty fucking quick after the first one. I mean, they were like, it was like 80 slashers, you know? They were right on it. So, not a lot of time elapsed between them. But we get a lot of the uh, same characters in the next one. And we'll talk about that next week. Blake, you're invited as always, if you're free and available. And uh, have the time to hang out with a couple of drunks. One that's actually here, one that can't figure out how to work a phone in Elizabethtown. Like I said, I mean, I have no problem if I have the time. I'll I'll definitely do it. You guys are my family, Timmy, and you know, gave me my start as far as, you know, pushing my stuff, and then I had some success. And, uh, so, you know, a lot of what I had was because you guys helped push me and had me plug myself and gave me a forum. So, of course, if I can be of help at any time and I'm available, I'll do it for sure, no problem. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it was fun having you, man. It was nice to bounce some shit off of about Scream. And it was cool to have little debates about who, what scenes were Billy, what scenes were somebody that watches it really close like I do. So uh, it was cool talking to you about it. And let's, another cameo in this movie that we hadn't talked about, Linda Blair was in this, too, just randomly in there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You see her twice in the movie, one specifically where she's bothering Sydney. Uh, but, yeah, this movie is good shit, definitely worth four all around. But, uh, Blake, since we're hitting almost two hours now, why don't you go ahead and throw out any plugs you got for us? Okay, uh, sure. I've got a Facebook page. It's an author page. You just search me, uh, Blake Best. Like I said, I'm the guy that has the sort of 80 porn stash and another thing. Um, so that's kind of a distinctive thing. Uh, I've got a regular Facebook page, but I don't tend to add fans to that one because I've just I've got so much going on. I've got almost a thousand friends. Way too many, and I just I try to direct all that stuff to uh, to my author page. I just put out a new album, uh, which uh, Travis and Vic got. You know, I sent them copies of it today, and I've been you know out doing that and doing some stuff for some films and composing and and stuff. So I got a campaign on GoFundMe now that uh, I'm doing to help pay for the cost of uh, production and art design for my new book because my new book is about halfway finished. Uh, so a book about the Loch Ness monster, kind of a creature feature. Um, so it's it's new territory for me, but I feel really good about that. Uh, so if you want to donate to the campaign, you can just search it on GoFundMe, or you can find it on both of my Facebook pages, and just make a donation or share it there. And I've got a Twitter, but I don't really use damn thing. So if you send me something, I'm probably not going to see it. So if you want to direct stuff to me, just hit me up on the Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Shreddy Kruger fourteen twenty eight and then Blake Best is just the official author page and yes I do answer all my mail and and interact with people I don't have any assistant doing that shit for me I don't believe in it so you'll talk to me if you send me a message you'll be talking to me but uh, I think that's all I got buddy well it was good shit I appreciate it and uh, I'll just throw out our plugs quickly we'll be back for scream two and scream three next week on filling the void radio network or filling the void podcast network i still have a hard fucking time with that it's on spreaker um trav and vic horror.wordpress.com facebook.com slash travis and vic horror uh twitter at trav and vic horror well at phenomenal tld at vic von eric and i'm drunk and i'm gonna go pass out now so i'll talk to you guys next week later on later on Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.